Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we're talking through the Anakin Injured Arc, episodes 13 and 14, season one, the Clone Wars TV series. Yeah, these are some exciting ones. I mean, what does it take to injure a Jedi like Anakin? And we also meet Ayla Secura. Oh my God. Yes, we do. So what all happens in this arc? Okay, so we begin in the Quell system. Mm -hmm. I do not know where that is in the Star Wars universe. It's a... In space. Yes. Thank you for that. Anakin and Ahsoka are racing to save Jedi Master Ayla Sakura, who is a smart, gorgeous, charismatic, amazing, beautiful. Did I say gorgeous? Incredible. Yeah. Phenomenal. She's a Twi'lek and she's wearing a... What what is that? A halter top and uh, a very booby crop top. And she's a low slung pants. Blue Twi'lek. And she's my favorite. <laughs> um, in other news, Ayla, Anakin, Ahsoka, I'm calling them AAA Battery in my go. notes. <laughs> this is their name now. So they're in the Quell system. Ayla has been perhaps forced down into the atmosphere of a planet in her Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And they're just getting hammered by so Repel- Separatist crazy cruisers. crazy space opera battle scene in midair. Mm-hmm. Ayla's ship is basically a bonfire. It's like covered in super mega rocket droids. Yeah, they send down rocket droids to, I don't know, take prisoners or something. Or something. And then Anakin shows up and decides to drop himself in as well. To leap onto a flying droid and crash land onto Ayla's ship, which just like that gave me crazy vertigo. What happens if he misses? Don't miss. Don't miss. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We meet my least favorite kind of droid, the smarmy tactical droids. Yeah. The tactician droids. Tactical droids. Uh, and he commands the battle droid in charge just to straight up destroy Ayla's cruiser. He's like, this is taking too long. Mm-hmm. Wanton destruction is just so passe. Yeah. So Anakin, Ahsoka, and some clone troopers, including Rex. Yeah. Uh, Rex and Ahsoka don't surf battle droids down. They take the helicopter gunship like everyone else. And they're only like one second behind Anakin. Anakin didn't save a bunch of time. I know. But he was very angry. He had very angry face going in. I think he just wanted to look cool. Well, he did. So they make their way on board. They meet up with Ayla. They fight their way through the ship. They're trying to get to the lower level so they can escape. But before they can, the tactical droid blows up the ship. Mm -hmm. So Anakin force shoves his friends behind the blast doors and then whirls around and bam, he gets knocked out by the force. Uh, Yeah, he gets slammed into a wall and hit by an explosion, like a big one. He just gets his lunch money taken. Yeah, but Ahsoka opens the door, drags him in, and then they escape on the ship. They do, and then the hyperdrive malfunctions. They're trying to dock with... Admiral Yularen on Anakin's Star Destroyer. Yeah. And the pilot gets shot of their little Corvette and falls on the hyperdrive button. And there's no hyperdrive abort button or it's smeared with blood or something. And that's a real UX design flaw, if you ask me. A little bit. Yeah. So they have to get ejected and the hyperdrive goes off. And then they just jet off into unknown space. Yeah. Headed right for a star. Yeah. Which... Depending on how hyperdrive actually looks, I mean, most of space is empty, but if hyperdrive is based off of like lines between mass or something, that's pretty likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like we we see that in other Star Wars 
uh, yeah, in episode happenings. four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they switch off the power to reset the hyperdrive. The G-Force drags everybody backwards. Ayla has to use the force to switch it back on. And then they just manage to reset slash disable the hyperdrive, avoid the star. And then Ahsoka says, well, we're not going to hit the star, but we're definitely going to hit that planet. Mm-hmm. And then they do indeed hit the planet. Hard crash landing. Hard crash landing. Yet another crash landing in the Clone Wars, Sam. Yeah. I was on to something. <laughs> there are so many. I would like to have a ratio, please, for the number of crash landings versus the number of intact landings. Yeah. You know, that's a funny thing because George Lucas famously said that the original space battles are very much based off of World War One aerial dogfights hmm. because there's a lot of loop-de-loops. There's a lot of like flying around and there's a lot of like very tight ace on ace combat like mm, people who are very exciting. much at similar skill levels and those planes like when they got shot to pieces you know it was pretty deadly but you could definitely land them like in someone's yard and walk away from it because they are biplanes and triplanes and they have a landing footprint of like 100 feet so if you can put them down they'll it, there are a lot of crashed landings okay and that's the point i'm trying to get to so. good to know good to know everyone does make it out they do have to carry anakin out he's limp and he's not lifeless he's alive but he's in he's, really bad shape he's ko'd he's out of commission and he's like getting worse yeah which is unfortunate because it turns out this planet they're on is a danger zone it's got vulture dogs. It's got giant ostrich griffin lions. And if those are vulture dogs, then yes. Yeah. Griffin lions is a good way to put it. They've okay. got big beaky faces and then big, big furry claws. Yeah. They're, they're scary. Yeah. So everybody on this planet that lands is either killed or almost killed by the ostrich lions. Yeah. They're pretty rapid. So they... The people who are conscious decide to go look for civilization because Ahsoka finds a piece of bark with things inscribed on it. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty good clue that the people live near trees and they see some trees off in the distance. Ayla tells Ahsoka that she can't, uh, Ahsoka can't stay with Anakin. It is your duty to do what's best for the group as a Jedi, is what Mm -hmm. she says. And so everyone except for Rex jets off to go look for help. While Anakin sits there with Rex, and that's when the vulture dogs show up and start mauling. Yeah. Cameron, Lucky, and this subtitle say Flesh. But it sounded like Flash. I think it was Flash, because Flesh is just even worse than Droid Bait in terms of clone nicknames. And that's how an Australian accent would pronounce Oh, gotcha. Flash. Okay. Yeah. So they go down mm-hmm. pretty immediately. Um, and then Ahsoka and Ayla are almost killed by murder acorns, which is another charming feature of this planet. It's a it's a cool little planet, though. It's it's a really um, it's like a savanna, except yeah. with enormous trees. And there's really tall yellow grass. It's a cool look. It's a beautiful episode arc. Mm-hmm. But the murder acorns were pretty much the one thing that I remembered about this episode. And I was like, <laughs> hey, it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme like pointing <laughs> at the TV. Murder acorns. I was like, I remember those. <laughs> From your first watch through. Yeah. Also, we know that they're big, literally as big as houses, because we get to the village of the... 
Lerman. Lerman people, and they literally use the acorn shells as houses. Mm-hmm. So, so they meet cool. up with the Lerman people who are space lemurs. They are the lemurs from Madagascar. Except they're hyper pacifist and their main mode of transportation is rolling themselves up and just zooming along. They sonic the hedgehog for yes. transportation. Yes. And I think that's very sexy of them. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> excellent alien crafting in this art. And they wear like little beanies and stuff. They're they're cute little. They've got big expressive eyes mm-hmm. and lethal faces. Yeah. They're very fun. So the leader T Watka? Tewatka? Yeah, I think Tewatka. Tewatka is a pacifist and he doesn't want any part of the Jedi's shenanigans. Mm-hmm. But he does cave Ahsoka like pleas for help. He sends his son Wagtu with Commander Bly mm-hmm. in the yellow armor. Yeah, that's um so Commander Bly is Ayla's clone commander. Okay. And so he's a he's similar like Cody. Level. He's like Cody. Okay. Yeah, he outranks Rex. Oh, which is yes. Because okay. commanders outrank captains. Cool. So Wag to Ahsoka and Bly go off to help Anakin while Ayla presumably chills, chills meditates. Um, she actually gets into a spirited debate about what it means to be a pacifist. Oh, yeah. And um, the chief, what's his name again? Tewatka. Tewatka and her have a lot of interesting dynamics back and forth, particularly across the backdrop that this was written Spirited discourse is the word. What was the yeah. backdrop of this episode? Well, so in the when when the first movies came out, when the first prequels came out, particularly this one and the next ones, or Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, there's a lot of lines like "This is how freedom dies" to thunderous applause and things like that, and that it's all along the backdrop because remember that Phantom Menace came out in 1999 mm. of 9/11, the Afghanistan War, the Iraq War, hmm. and at the time. It was, um, you know, unpatriotic. It was traitorous to be against the war. And then this appearing years and years later, seven years later, mm-hmm. is a different time, but it's the same time. Because in 2008, 2009, we were still in Afghanistan, still in Iraq. And it was still uh, thinking of radical pacifism is, is still a radical idea. Yes, I cannot wait to talk about all of that for sure. One thing is interesting. We do get to actually see the Lamorns, Lamornian people. Uh, We just said it. The Luremen. The Lermans. We do get to see the Luremans practice nonviolent fighting. When Wagtu, Ahsoka, and Bly get back to Anakin and Rex, Mm -hmm. Anakin and Rex are being ambushed by the ostrich griffins. Mm -hmm. And Wagtu, like, lassos one to the ground. Ahsoka's about to shoot it to neutralize the threat. And he's like, wait, don't, don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess they just let it go. Yeah. So So nonviolent techniques can be effective. This is the hill that I will die on. I have a lot of... (laughs) Scholar, scholarly background in this to back that up, yeah, but for sure, it was very cool. We closed this episode just on Anakin back in the village. Wag two is covering him in bandages with seed pod oil, getting healed up, and Ayla and Ahsoka are having some really cozy mentor mentee time, which mm-hmm. just fills me with inexpressible joy. So then the separatists show up. Yes, and. In this case, in it is, Defenders of Peace, the next episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And it's this guy, Lockturd. More like Lockturd. Lockturd is voiced by George Takei, pretending to be George Takei. No. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is, it is George Takei at his campiest. I was going to say this voice for Lockturd sounded straight out of the Mulan movie. It, yeah, it is George Takei at his resonant. Unctuous, yeah, pompous, way over the top. It was my favorite voice acting, probably so far, except for maybe the ridiculousness of Zero the Hut. But that's <laughs> that's for another day. So Lockter shows up and says, "Thank you for being loyal subjects of the Separatists. Congratulations, you're now a Separatist planet." Yeah. And then, uh, and by this point, the Jedi have bounced because they're like, "If we, if the Separatists find us, we'll be in trouble." Mm-hmm. And the son, Wag Toe. Uh, wag Toe. Wag Toe. <laughs> wag also. He, uh, you try wagging your toes as hard. <laughs> uh, he is ordered to follow the Jedi. And the Jedi climb an enormous tree and are watching as Lockdurd is getting ready to try out his new weapon. Yes. And Meanwhile, so, the battle droids are ransacking the village. Yes. They show up. They ransack everything. They look for signs of Jedi. They shoot the place up. And then they they leave. And Lockdurd is like, perfect, you'll be great additions to the Separatist cause. And then he becomes full evil and is like, I'm now prepared for my artillery defoliator shells. Which is a new weapon mm-hmm. that maybe he, maybe Count Dooku designed that only destroys biomatter and mm-hmm. not metal. So he humorously gets two droid volunteers to go stand in a field and then launches this at them. The droids are fine, but it kills, you know, a square mile around the droids. And importantly, two of our clone friends are trying to sneak around Mm -hmm. and scout the Separatist stronghold Mm -hmm. that's housing all of the ships. And Ayla has to Tarzan down on a vine and save them, which was just... Very cool of her. Yeah. So they all survive. And then the good guys decide to sneak up on the Separatist base at night because Anakin's like, well, we have to defend this village. What he says is there's a difference between pulling people into a war and leaving them to extinction. Yeah. Which is a nicely drawn nuance there. Also, the spy scene where they're sneaking into the stronghold Mm -hmm. is so delightfully sneaky. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of delightfully John Wickian because yeah. they just go up and like the droids will their look little, away for one second yeah. and then they'll look back and their friend's head is ripped off. And it's, their little feet are just pitter-pattering and they're being completely silent and there's this spy music background mm-hmm. music. They've got the like searchlights looking for them and they're just on the other side of the searchlight like lightsabering things. It was so great. It was very, I don't know if it was John Wickian or what, but <laughs> it was almost like Ocean's Eleven-y. So... The reason that they're going down there is because their ship is, you know, KO'd. So they need another ship and they know there's going to be a shuttle at least at this base. While they're at the Separatist base, they also steal a whole bunch of shield generators because mm-hmm. shield generators are always good to steal. Mm-hmm. You never know when you're going to need a shield generator. And they need them immediately. They take them back to the village. They hide them behind some of the seed pods and they set them up literally just in time for... Locked turd <laughs> to, to fire the missile at them. Mm-hmm. And then everything is like purple and they're engulfed in flames, but they're not because they're behind the shield. And then there's a very cool battle scene. So all of uh, Locked 
Durd decides to send in his battle droids to take out the shield generator, and he doesn't care about friendly fire on his side because he's like, I'll just defoliate you guys later, no problem. So we got three Jedi versus a hundred battle droids? Yeah, probably more than that. So he sends in one wave, and then there's a droid who's sitting there with binoculars like, five... Four, three, <laughs> two, and then you cut to the scene of the Jedi just dismembering the droids. One, that's the last of the droids. <laughs> so he sends in all the droids and they have to start pulling back. They start to slip through and they do eventually make it into the village. And, and they take are, out the shield generator. They take out the shield generator and they are just wantonly shooting into the villagers' huts. Mm-hmm. There's this voiceover from the commander droid. And he just says over the communicators, no survivors. Yeah. (sighs) So they're shooting it up. Meanwhile, Anakin, who's now well enough to do Anakin things, decides that the best defense is a good offense Uh and sprints towards the tank at full speed. And is just dodging tank shells, dodging tank blasts. Little cool, twirly, evasive Mm -hmm. tactics. So basically, simultaneously, all of the uh, little... Laramin people start lassoing the droids by the ankle and then yanking them all down and then Ahsoka chops off all their heads. Meanwhile, Anakin is chopping the tank about to fire the defoliator shells into little pieces. The uh, locked dirt is trying to run away and then is lifted into the air by the scruff of his neck by Anakin using the force. (laughs) And my promotion. They've kind of sort of convinced the pacifists to be slightly more active in a way they still sort they still of. kept up their pacifist way they still kept up their nonviolent ways and let someone else enact violence yeah in the form of a very fun scene where they tie up a circle of battle droids yank them all and then ahsoka circles around all of them chopping off all their heads what Tewat ka eventually says is perhaps we do owe the jedi our thanks but i still wonder at what cost yeah. And then Admiral Yularen comes and presumably picks up our heroes to go fight another day. And put Lockdurd into jail next to who else have we captured? Zero the Hut. Um, Newt got away, didn't he? Newt got away. Dooku got away. Zero, maybe? Yeah, Zero's there. They can share a cell, and I hope Zero smells particularly offensively bad. <laughs> so that's the That's, that's the, the arc, Sam. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? The battle scene at the beginning bugs me. Really? A lot. Okay, why? Anakin gives up the high ground. When? When he decides. So you've got, if you'll imagine, listener, a Star Destroyer. Ayla's Star Destroyer. And it's sitting there. It's got two Star Destroyers going down over this planet. They're down in the upper atmosphere of the planet. And the Separatist battleships are above it. And that's like where they want to be because of these ones with the shields on the front and their cannons are all pointed down. They love being above you. So instead of like blowing up the Separatist ships, Anakin decides to go in for a rescue mission. And he could have sent his little Corvette under cover of fire to be like, hey, get in the Corvette and run away. But he has no way of communicating with Ayla, does he? I mean, I feel like... Ayla and Anakin both being generals, like Jedi generals, if he's like, hey, I, a ship shows up underneath you and we're trying to cause a distraction, please climb aboard the ship and escape, is like, doesn't require radio coordination ahead of Maybe. time. Maybe. I just, from the intro of the episode, what mm-hmm. I understood is that Anakin and Ahsoka are specifically tasked with extracting Ayla. Yeah. 
And so you just, you know, you can't hear each other over the blaster fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I'm it, here for the plot maneuvering that yeah, got them... It, it was, a, yeah, as a plot maneuver. It was really cool. It was very cool in the sense of I love watching spaceships fight in atmosphere. I don't know yes. why I love that so much. Okay, I was going to say that something about the bright blue and the white and the red color palette mm-hmm. in the space opera battle scene just like makes my heart go bam. Like it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I it it's was much more compelling. Infinitely more exciting to me than having space as a backdrop for some reason mm-hmm. because the stakes feel more real because there's gravity and there's clouds and if you fall off you're going down as opposed to just out. Yeah. Yeah, so it was cool looking, but from a military tactical point of view, it bugged me a little bit. I am here for completely uncritical, (laughs) unmilitary viewing, and so I thought it was fabulous. Well, there you go. And then, of course, when... um, Yeah, the the fight scene in there is is really cool. I did really enjoy... It, it's it's another strong small moment between Rex and Ahsoka right there. Mm, who it, calls her kid in this arc instead of Sir? Did you notice that? Yes. Which is what gives? Um, it's more endearing, and I think in it's also a contextual thing because when so she's commander at this point, so she outranks him. But when Anakin's there, he's a general. He outranks everyone, mm-hmm. and so. They're both paying attention. And she has sort of a a secondary role. So in the military structure, when Anakin's there, Ahsoka's job is to protect Anakin. Mm -hmm. And Anakin's job is to lead the the clones. Mm -hmm. And when Anakin's not there, Ahsoka's job is to lead the clones. So when Anakin's there, they're almost at like the same level. Interesting. Because otherwise you have like a really funky shaped structure of command because you want to have like, you know, you want Ahsoka to have the authority to not have to code switch as a clone when Anakin and Ahsoka are both there or when you have one or the other. So that yeah. makes sense. But then also, it I think it shows their strong relationship as friends in mm. that like Anakin's just like, this is taking too long, which is interesting because that's exactly what the tactical droid said. Ooh. And, which is interesting because it means that Anakin has that tactical mind because he's a military genius, mm-hmm. but his, you know... And Ahsoka and Rex are just like, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. We don't need to jump out of our drop craft. Like, we're not going to fall any faster than something that's already going down. That is a great point. They're like, we're just going to be normies about this, and we're going to take the escalator yeah. instead of the roller the coaster. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. They, they show up in, like, the they're in the battle we we follow them yeah as they like get halfway shot down and they fall through a hole of the ship and they all pile out and they start fighting and it's a very cool fight scene and then you realize that they're like 15 feet behind anakin the whole time yeah so anakin being anakin i did love the major dad energy of anakin force shoving them behind the blast doors yeah and being prepared to just take that fire himself it reminded me of when you're driving and you have to stop really suddenly and your arm just instinctively goes out to hold the person in the Mm -hmm, passenger mm -hmm. seat i was like oh yes dadakin that's a really interesting move to see as well we saw it Earlier in the malevolence arc, when Anakin threw Padme in the elevator as the droids show up and started oh, shooting yeah. everyone, mm-hmm. 
And so it shows Anakin's paternalistic view, but it also shows what you can do with the force of if you're thinking a little bit faster than everyone else in the tactical moment, you can make those sacrifices. And in a way, that's Anakin, perhaps his training, getting ahead of his thinking, mm, mm-hmm. because he's immediately doing the the more lives saved, the better calculus. Yeah. Which is, in my mind, the main theme of these episodes. Yes, we will have to talk about it. In my mind, a gifted individual will always be able to outthink and outmaneuver even the best tactical droid. So I think that was a really nice little flourish. Perhaps. I mean, that's the tactical droids were designed to outthink Jedi in the moment because they can parallelize those processes. But I saw a lot of parallels, which I found interesting. Cool. And the main thing was of this whole thing, there's what's called an OODA loop. Hmm. And that's what they talk about in like... Top Gun schools, it's O-O-D-A, observe, orient, decide, act. And that's a loop that you are in when you are in a combat situation. You are observing what's happening. You're orienting yourself, which for fighter pilots is like your energy state. Or if you go up, you go down, you curve around them or whatever. You decide what you're going to do and then you act. And if someone gets, quote, inside your OODA loop, unquote, that means that they have they're a step ahead of you because you have to do those things in that order. And if someone gets one step ahead of you, they're one move ahead of you and they've acted while you're deciding. I was going to say, it seems wild to me, having no military training or experience whatsoever, that you would be in a combat situation and think, okay, now it's time for me to observe and now it's time for me to orient myself. It seems like the goal of training should be to cause your intuition to run through all of this automatically. So you're not even aware that you're running the loop. So it's, it's old thinking. Um, Miyamoto Mushashi is a, he's the sword saint of Japan. He unified Japan basically mm. kind of single-handedly, not for himself, but uh, just with a sword in the 1500s. And he wrote these nine rules to live by. And one of them was develop intuitive judgment and understanding of everything, Mm -hmm. which does go back towards that training. Another one of his rules is the way, the path, the the way forward, capital way, like the Eastern understanding is uh, the way is in training. And so when you are well-trained, then you do have that intuitive judgment and understanding for everything. Because the point of training, the point of practice is to do it every day so that when the situation arises, you make the right decision. So Anakin was either getting ahead of the tactical droid or following his intuition. And from what we know about Anakin, I'm more inclined to believe he was following his intuition. When he jumped out of the ship, but when he flung them through the bulkhead, he flung all of the rest of the Republic people through the bulkhead and then sat there and tried to use the force to stop the explosion, I think he was having a severe crisis of... His training compelled him to do one thing, and then he immediately thought about it and said, I have condemned myself. Hmm. And I think that's why there's a brief moment, like three frames, he is holding back at the holding back. He that is. He, yeah, he's successfully until doing he so. isn't. Yeah. And he lives. He doesn't have like visible injuries. It's not like he's got big cauterized wounds all over him. He's got a little soot on his jawline. Yeah. In the High Republic books. There's a uh, the main plot of the first High Republic book is that there's a, a massive event and a whole bunch of Jedi have to be called to assist. And one of the Jedi is sort of managing all the other Jedi and she is spending their lives. She is asking 
she's organizing all of them through the force and they are giving all of their life through the force until they die hmm. to save thousands, millions, billions. And that is what the force does. And I think that this injury that Anakin sustained, because this is my original note when we originally watched this, is what does it take to injure a Jedi? Maybe he burnt himself out on the force. Hmm. That's a lot to talk about for just like the first five minutes of this yeah, episode. Wow. Yeah. I want to talk about Ayla Sakura. Yeah, she's... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Ayla is a character who... I, we might have seen her in episode two. You know, I think we saw her in the background of the battle scene of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, she also is uh, in a scene on Felucia in episode three. She is bright blue, she so is, it is easy to spot she her. She's bright blue, and they picked uh, a quite voluptuous actor to play Wildly her. Wildly curvaceous. <laughs> I will say, first and foremost... Ayla Sakura is the first time I've seen my body type represented in Star Wars, and you cannot understate how much that means. I've talked about how Ahsoka's voice makes me feel represented, mm -hmm. and now I have not only the auditory representation, but I have the visual representation, because Ayla's got a fupa, a fat upper pelvic area. Mm -hmm. Like, she's got... A thin waist and big boobs and big hips. And I'm like, this is incredible. <laughs> Just not only to see yourself on screen, but to see yourself represented by a general who is respected, who is listened to, who is calm and charismatic and wise and walks the way of the force and also happens to be by human standards, like wildly curvaceous. Mm -hmm. And no one takes her any less seriously for it. Yeah, although there is a very interesting conversation that her and Ahsoka have when they're walking away. Uh-huh. It's Ahsoka Ayla advice time. It is. And so all the times I've watched this, the conversation starts off and I think it's going in a different direction than it does. Would you like me to recount it for you? Please do. So Ayla says to Ahsoka, I can sense your worry. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka says, it's just so confusing. Jedi are supposed to be compassionate, but we're not supposed to form attachments. Mm -hmm. Basically speaking for all of us who run through this argument in our heads about the way that Jedi are supposed to be. Yeah, you and I had that conversation on like one of our Attack, it was Attack of, the of the Clones episodes. Right away. And I... I was really mad at myself, listeners, because I didn't answer the question during the podcast because I knew it would come up so many more times. Yeah. And it's really like one of the core elements of the whole Clone Wars arc. But It is a central question. Yeah. What Ayla says is, it's nothing to be ashamed of, Ahsoka. And I was like, what? Wow. Then she says, I went through the same process with my own master. He was like a father to me. But I realized that for the greater good, I had to let him go. Don't lose a thousand lives just to save one. Mm -hmm. Who in their right mind put Ahsoka with Anakin and not with Ayla? Justice for the Ahsoka and Ayla show that we could have had. That would have been very cool. I think that perhaps what Yoda and the Jedi Council saw in Ahsoka was a weapon. Hmm. And... I don't know if any other Jedi Master would have made her as much of a weapon as she turns out to be. Hmm. I'm going to think about that. Where do you always think that conversation's going to go? Now, this might be 
my own my own way of reading people. This might be like my own interpretation of how women talk behind men's backs, but it feels a lot like Ayla is about to warn Ahsoka away from a physical sexual attraction. Really? Yes. And it it is intriguing and interesting and enlightening to me that you didn't see that. Because Because she's talking about a father figure. Yes, although remember that Anakin and Ahsoka are what six, five years apart in age? Like that's not quite that fatherly figure age difference. Wow, I've never considered that Anakin and Ahsoka could be physically attracted to each other. Because Ahsoka is coded as such a child, a responsible child and a capable child. Mm-hmm. But Anakin's aged up in his animation style. A little bit, yeah. And Ahsoka is very much aged down. Con- compared to Shakti or Ayla, she's mm-hmm. not curvaceous. Yeah. Her breasts haven't really developed, as we know that they can, because we know what Shakti looks like. Mm-hmm. Her leku are short. Her mantral is short. Mm-hmm. So I guess... For whatever reason, I just always assumed that Ahsoka was coded to be a child and wasn't ready to form any kind of um, non-platonic relationship. Yeah. So the fact that that conversation does go the way you expect and doesn't go the way I expect perhaps goes says something about me having seen Ahsoka considerably aged up in mm-hmm. future things. You know, in, in The Mandalorian, she's 40 years old, 50. 45 years old, right? So mm-hmm. however that looks. So there's that I don't know. I just expected that to go slightly different because that is part of the or perhaps it's because that when Anakin has that conversation with Obi-Wan, he's talking about Padme. Or he has it, I'm sorry, he has it with Padme. What discussion? The discussion about Jedi are supposed to be compassionate. But yeah, they he can't. says that in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. And so I would argue that loving somebody is the most compassionate thing you can do as mm-hmm. he's trying to talk her around into forming a relationship with him. You know what that's making me realize is that perhaps Anakin felt not love, but some combination of respect, friendship, and lust towards Padme, and he misidentified that as love. Mm-hmm. Which is, and Ahsoka and Ayla recognized it correctly. Mm, interesting. I'd like to continue this conversation when I can see Ahsoka go through some character development. Yeah. I think right now I'm just not even ready to consider this for her. Mm-hmm. The last thing that I can kind of bring to this conversation is that recently I was reading a book about female military commanders. Interesting. And the kind of fledgling commander in training was getting a lesson from her male mentor who was saying, we don't ask the male commanders not to have private lives. We just ask them to not have them on duty, but it's different for women. If you take a lover from among your ranks, all kinds of power dynamics and heckling and slut shaming can happen basically is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not fair, But as a woman trying to be a commander, you know what it's like for things not to be fair. Mm -hmm. And it makes me consider that the only relationships that we see among the Jedi are with male Jedi with female lovers. So far. Yeah. Yeah. 
I Maybe mean, that's why I can't picture Ahsoka doing anything of the kind. I haven't seen it before. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And it's definitely something we'll explore later. Okay. There, there will be more. Neat. More to come. I got on a little bit of a tangent with the defoliant when Lock Durd was showing up with the defoliant because I I, I started looking up uh, what Agent Orange and Roundup and all these other mm. defoliants are and what they're designed to kill and whatnot. And it, I don't know. It's a dark rabbit hole. Look into it if you dare, listener. But defoliants have a long history of warfare, and this was you know a clever use of them. I think that Lock Durd's character was a lot of fun. And just like I imagine that they wrote someone like we want a like rotund, he looks over like the top a daikon radish. If you've ever seen a daikon <laughs> radish, you will know he's a daikon radish with eyes, basically. Mm-hmm. And just the crazy accent. And he's I so love excited. that they made him so ridiculous. And like as he's talking, he's like, "My promotion will arrive for sure." And the droid who's next to him on the tank's like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah, I know it's so great. When they're uh, the Jedi are setting up the pods to protect the village, he's like pods, pods. <laughs> How quaint! Yeah, he's he's having a lot of fun. So it's a uh, uh, he's a fun character, and I enjoyed him. And then there's the discourse about the pacifism. Yes. Okay. I went through such a mental obstacle course to get to my final thoughts on how pacifism is depicted, and I'm not even sure that I've fully arrived. I don't think I have a conclusion yet. I might just have to talk this through with you, Sam. All right. So first episode, Jedi Crash, I was asking myself, is pacifism a privilege or is it a form of great humility? So I'll walk you through a little bit of that. Tewat Ka mm-hmm. is saying to Ayla, they're having one of their discourses, and yeah. Ayla says, isn't liberty worth fighting for? Yes. And then Tewat Ka says, is it worth killing for? Mm-hmm. Fighting for something doesn't mean you have to destroy everything in your path. He later says, when the battle droids are ransacking the village, we'd rather not fight at all. We would rather die than kill others. If it's our destiny to be destroyed in your war, so be it. Yeah. So he went from the privilege of not engaging in a war that surrounded him to what I would consider the great humility of not considering your life worth saving if it meant the eradication of your moral cultural compass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because at that point, it's no longer your life. It is a different life and you've chosen it. Yeah. That is what taking on the weight of killing does. Yeah. But he was making that decision for the entire village. Which is why his son and all the other scampering Lerman youth decided to start lassoing up troublemakers. And yeah. So that was rebel. something that I didn't find as compelling. So we have this amazing discourse about pacifism. We've got all kinds of quotes. Mm-hmm. 
What they end up doing with this idea of neutrality is they form a contingent, which is Tewat Ka on one side, and his son and all of the younger Lermans on the other side. And they make it a generational difference of yeah. being older, stagnant, strict, traditional. And the younger cohort, which are modern, liberal, willing to change, willing to stand by this new ideal. Mm -hmm. And I found that less compelling because I didn't think this arc treated the concept of neutrality with neutrality. Yeah, especially compared to um, where my Katunko head's at. Back yes, absolutely. I thought immediately of supply lines and ambush when we get to see the Tordarians walking this line of, we want to remain neutral, but now we see that we need to choose a side. And I wasn't bothered by that decision at all, mm -hmm. but I really respected the Lerman's neutrality and pacifism until... This episode beat us over the head with the evil separatists who are going to kill all of them and the righteous Jedi who are going to protect them. Mm -hmm. And they made it such a no-brainer for what side the Lurmans should choose. Yeah. Instead of letting us walk in that uncomfortable gray ground a little while longer. Well, it's, it's a kid's show. And going back to the backdrop of what American culture was at the time... Um, you know, 2009, 2008, we were still trying to ramp up troop numbers. Yeah. And so what do you do? You got to make sure that you have troop numbers five years from now by making sure that Cartoon Network is showing that soldiers are morally correct hmm. and pacifists are morally gray. You know, President Obama wanted to end what was becoming an unpopular war, but wasn't unpopular yet. Yeah. And you just can't go against the will of the people in some senses. It becomes yeah. politically dangerous, especially if you're seeking a second term. I mean, that's what Eisenhower said about the military industrial complex. After a while, the zeitgeist of the population develops its own monstrous characteristics, mm -hmm. and that is what that war became. We had so many cheerleaders for it from so many different directions that it became a universally popular bipartisan thing. I mean, the original war went through, I think two senators voted against it. Which Something is like that. It was yeah. probably Bernie Sanders. It was Bernie Sanders. And so then we're left with like anything other than that is weak. Anything other than war is weak. Now to go through my personal journey with pacifism, I, in the uh, moral gray areas of my youth, I was in in when I was 17 years old. It was after 9/11, roundabouts the Iraq invasion, and I was on probation. And my probation officer was a kindly old man, and I said, "Well, I don't need to go to college. I'm going to join the military." And he says, "The number there there's no way to get around the fact that if you're in the military, you're in the business of killing people." And I know that's a controversial thing to say. I don't think it's particularly counterfactual, but it's certainly controversial. And that is like what the chief was trying to say, that the Jedi must be in the business of killing people. When he first meets Ayla, some peacekeepers, and there's a shot yeah, of her yeah, yeah. lightsaber. For peacekeepers, they don't carry shields, they carry swords. That's why this episode gave me such high hopes for really interesting discourse on pacifism. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being 
rather American in the execution. But we do have to consider that this was a product of its times. And it's a kid show. And it's a kid show. But I do believe you should give younger audiences fewer black and white choices mm-hmm. and more shades of gray. Right. Yeah. Not 50 of them. Like just 47. Just like 47 of them. <laughs> Let them develop their critical thinking skills. So where I ended with this arc, I was asking an even different question than my initial questions. And I was like, would it take a new world order to make committing to neutrality a respectable choice on its own? Hmm. So I was on TikTok the other day, and there was a woman who was saying, there are some things where I truly don't have an opinion, but I always feel like I have to have an opinion because if I don't have an opinion, then I'm seen as weak or as not intellectually engaged. And I really don't care about ranch dressing, but I have to have an opinion about as small a thing as ranch dressing. Or famously, uh, pineapple on pizza. Yes! (laughs) I am pro-pineapple on pizza. I just don't care. And Sam chooses neutrality. Yeah. But I think women especially, because in so many historical contexts and even modern day circumstances, have not been allowed to have an opinion. I always feel like I need to have one. Hence, pineapple on pizza, Sam doesn't care. It's a privilege that I'm allowed to take. Yes. And so I was thinking, I've always thought of maintaining neutrality as abstaining from making a choice. But maybe it's just committing to not choosing one side or another. Instead of passive, it's active. And maybe it's less courageous to choose a side and just completely close yourself off from ever having to make another judgment and reconsider. Interesting. So in that context, there's courage in the moral calculus of choosing each decision individually, whether to act or not act. And opening yourself up to maybe having to re-decide what you believe, even even if it's a foundational worldview. Yeah, for sure. That is one of my favorite book series, the theme at the end of four books, you get to the end of it and the theme is choose again. And that doesn't mean like remake that choice you just made. It means every single moment, every single day, Mm. you have the opportunity to choose what you're doing every single day. Yeah. I think that's really empowering. That said, being a pacifist, I think is a profoundly strong point. Mm hmm. Especially the chief saying that line, are you willing to kill for it? Mm -hmm. Now, what makes it gray is that are they killing anyone when they're killing those battle droids? Yes, that is such an excellent point. But they do. Battle droid sentience, question mark? Yeah, go back to droid rights. But (laughs) does it, you know, that that makes a little little gray of are you willing to sacrifice your life as you see it? Or sacrifice your life. Because, you know, if you've never committed violence against another person, you got to practice at it to be good at it. Mm. So, you know, these, if, if they picked up swords and started fighting, they would, they would have died the same as they did. So it's, it's an interesting point to make. And it was heavy handed. And it's, I think it's fascinating that we've had this level of discourse about it because there's really cool points to be made here. Yeah. I just, I loved that we close on this uneasy ground where mm. WAG2 
is saying, Dad, I just thanked the Jedi for protecting us. And then Tewat Ka is basically saying, maybe you deserve our thanks and maybe you don't. And then we just close the episode. And I was like, wow, that is a really thought provoking arc. Mm -hmm. And that brought me a lot of joy. The only other thing that I have to say about this episode, how does one go about colonizing a planet? Do you just like show up one day and put a flag in the ground and say, my name's Christopher Columbus and this is my planet now? Like, do you need a realtor? I'm just asking for personal reasons. I would love to find a spare planet lying around and just put an acorn pot on it. So I want to know, because I really want to know, who is your bae for this episode? Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? It's time for Baywatch! 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 My bae mm-hmm. is Tewaka. The chief? Yeah. Wow. I'm All kidding. Right. It's Ayla Sakura. Who oh, do you think I am? Oh my gosh. <laughs> My secondary bay is Tewaka. All right. Ayla, for reasons, I have enumerated all of her majestic qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd feel no need to further delve this ground. She's the best. Mm-hmm. I love Ayla Sakura. I think I'm just obsessed with her. I'm just fangirling more, hard over more here. More female Jedi. Yes. Tewaka, because I find it courageous to stick to your guns. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I do frequently. I am very open to reconsidering my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wish I was firmer in them. And so Tewat Ka inspires me that if I really truly believe something, I have not only the right, but the ability to stick to it. For real. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, I'm going to take both of your bays and I'm going to copy them. Oh my God. Yeah, it's the first time. (gasps) So the I, I I have my fan canon, which is that every Jedi has like one or two specific things that they're exceptionally good at. Yeah. There's a moment which we kind of glossed over, which is that the as the Jedi and clones are leaving the Lerman camp, they come across a probe droid and they follow the probe droid and they're all chasing after the probe droid. Ahsoka's leading the clones. They're mm-hmm. running super fast. Mm-hmm. Ayla stops. Casually wanders around. Well, she alertly looks around and then as team ahsoka is chasing this probe droid and they're saying if it gets out in the open we're not going to be able to catch it ayla pops out and chops it in two Mm -hmm. and does the coolest twirly thing to reholster her lightsaber afterwards Mm -hmm. and that speaks to me of her having patience and foresight and then the advice she gave ahsoka of Mm. saying of, of doing that life calculus Saying you have to be willing to sacrifice lives to save lives. Mm-hmm. And you have to know which lives to sacrifice. I mean, that mm-hmm. is, um, during some Napoleonic War conference, Napoleon, the, a Prussian minister said, we can't sustain this war. We've spent, we've, we've lost 30,000 men. And Napoleon says, I spend 30,000 men a month. Yeah, That verbiage difference of when to spend lives mm. is something that the Jedi have to be good at to know. And I admire deeply Ayla's dispassion on that same token the chief his honor is impeccable yeah 
And I think the fact that he did, um, I mean, that at the end when he said, maybe you helped, maybe you didn't, I think that that is his way of exhibiting love towards mm. his son, but also saying, look forward, see why we came here because this war did reach us. And, you know, the separatists are probably spoiling to, to mess us up. If there were any survivors, if any leaks come out, and there definitely mm. will be because uh, Locke Durd they knew where he was. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll come and they'll just bombard the planet. So they might have just bought themselves the smallest amount of time mm -hmm. for all that effort. But it was a price that he was willing to pay. He didn't pay it. He The, the youths were going about tying up the droids against his wishes the whole time. He stuck to his guns the whole time. And I think that that is admirable. Mm -hmm. Also, I think Anakin's moment of strength was notable yes very deeply appreciated on this end mm -hmm. because then he turns into rampaging whole kanakin at the end and just sprints and explodes a tank and is like grouchy and yeah it, it's, cool, it's cool but i liked him sticking his arm out and keeping his you know padawan and his colleague and his clone troopers in their seats safely secured by their you know mm -hmm. metaphorical seatbelts. yeah This episode really has hit me right in the feels. So yeah. it's been nice to talk about. Yeah, it's a thorny one. I have more questions than I have answers with this one, which I think is the mark of really smart television. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? If we didn't go into this level of detail, I would feel like these ones are practically throwaways. So that is, I'm glad that we went into them and started talking about these things. Mm -hmm. So on that note, I think we're about ready to wrap up. First of all, special shout out to our new Patreon, Sam. Yay, Sam! Sam is a friend from the X-Wing Miniatures community. And if you want to join me on that, hit us up. I'll, uh, we'll fly around and you'll probably shoot me to pieces. Pew, it's pew, a lot pew. of fun. Anna loves it when I do it for two and a half hours at a time. It's nice to have some alone time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, make sure to join us next week for season one episode 15 trespass yep you can as always find us on social media at growing up skywalker if you like the show review subscribe maybe send it to your friend that you can have really deep philosophical discussions with and leave a better person for having examined your beliefs or send it to your friend who in the heat of the moment they do the right thing even even though they're trying to do the wrong thing the rest of the time <laughs> or send it to a realtor who can find us a free planet <laughs> please send us planets we can't we can't afford to live on earth anymore <laughs> <laughs> see you next tuesday and check us out on patreon too for spice run spice run spice run <laughs>